You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. I'm Lynn Galadner, a writer, entrepreneur, and change maker, and I've dedicated my life to sharing stories of how people make meaning in their work and find purpose in their lives. You just heard a great original composition by my son, Asher Schreiber. This podcast highlights some of the great ideas and activities people do every day to make the world a better place. So much of the meaning we find comes from interacting with great people, developing relationships that are mutually beneficial, and doing work that inspires. I hope you'll be inspired by the people you meet on this podcast. We all need to find a way to make meaning in the mundane. Welcome to the Make Meaning Podcast. Today, I'm talking with my dad, Norman Cohn, on this first episode of the Make Meaning Podcast with Lynn Gladner. My dad is one of the most incredible people I've ever known. He was a leader in the scrap metal industry for decades, founding and leading his company, Norco Alloys. He built his life himself, working hard at every turn, and started out as a teacher in Highland Park before discovering his love for the scrap industry. Perhaps even more important, though, is that he's a terrific father and my hero. I consider my dad my biggest mentor and business advisor, and I can't imagine a better inspiration. So I'm happy to share his wisdom and inspiration with all of you. Welcome to Make Meaning, Dad. Thank you very much, Lynn. It's a great pleasure to be able to be here. Yeah, I thought it'd be really fun to start this podcast with you and I talking as we've done for all of these years. And I was telling Jessica, my engineer here in the studio, that um, I turn to you for everything. It could be parenting advice. It could be career advice, um, even dealing with people. I always turn to you because you have such a a no-nonsense approach, and I really admire that about you. So um, tell me a little bit about your career and what uh, you're most proud of, what you enjoyed the most. Well, I really had two careers. I started out uh, graduating from Michigan State University in December of 1961, and um, I then did student teaching at Livonia Bentley High School from January to March of 1962. That came about because when I was a junior at Michigan State, my mother had said to me, get a teaching certificate. Uh, My parents had come through the Depression, and my mother felt that you always had a job if you were a teacher. Sure. So I did that, and after I um, did my student teaching, I then went to work for the city of Detroit Parks and Recreation and worked at Palmer Park Oh, wow. Um, from March of 1962 through uh, September of 62, mm-hmm. uh, when I began teaching at a junior high school in Highland Park, Michigan. And you were teaching science and history? General science and um, I'm trying in English. Uh-huh. Um, we had the, the children divided by abilities, and the abilities went by IQs. Wow. 
So you you had a group that was 100 IQ. You had a group that was 70 to 80 IQ. Uh-huh. And you had a group that was uh, 120 IQ. Okay. So unfortunately, the, the group that was 70 to 80 was extremely difficult to, to teach. Sure. Uh, and to keep uh, uh, from destroying the room, basically. Oh. Uh, <laughs> whereas the kids who were in 120 IQ um, were just just great to teach. Sure. Uh, and interestingly enough, those kids that had that IQ were a majority of Asian children. Oh, wow. Interesting. And so I learned early on that education was extremely important to people of Asian descent. Sure. And then um, I taught there from 1962 through June of 1965. Okay. So how did you transition from that into the scrap metal industry? Well, that was a very interesting occurrence. Mm-hmm. It's the old story of it isn't what you know, but who you know. Of course. Um, my hobby has ever is since 1959 has been amateur radio. Uh-huh. So I've been a ham radio operator for uh, almost 60 years. Wow. And um, I had a friend whose parents owned a company in the scrap business in Detroit, and he had come over to my parents' house with a television set that wasn't working and asked me if I could fix it. Hmm. And those days, uh, television sets, uh, some were made uh, and wired in series. Mm-hmm. So they operated like a Christmas tree lights. Okay. If one light was out, they were all out. Sure. So you automatically took one tube out, put another one in, and you went through the series of tubes in the set until voila. Mm-hmm. You found the right tube, everything lit up, mm-hmm. the set worked. Okay. After I did that, he said to me, you know, I think you'd be good in our business, huh. and we need somebody uh, young to come into the business. Okay. I said to him, I don't know anything about your business. <laughs> what good am I going to be? And uh, your grandmother, uh, I discussed it with because I was living at home at the time, and she said, you can take a year's leave of absence from teaching, can't you? I said, Yes. She said, why don't you do that? And if you don't like it, so you'll go back to teaching. Sure. So I said, okay. And so in June of 1965, uh, I went into the scrap metal business, and here it is, mm-hmm. uh, May of 2018, and it's 53 years, um, and it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, so you've traveled the world. You've met people from almost every continent. Um, You've really, you know, had a lot of, you've seen markets rise and fall over the years. Um, I even started my journalistic career writing about metals because of you, because I worked my way into the interview by saying, I grew up at a dinner table where they were talking about metals. Um, And really saying, I'm Norman Cohn's daughter, opened the door for a lot of people to talk to me when I was a reporter at American Metal Market, because they didn't trust the media very much back then. But um, what did you love about it? What was fun for you about that industry? Well, first off, you're dealing with commodities. Mm-hmm. And commodities rise and they fall. Mm-hmm. And so every day is different. And someone once said to me in the scrap metal business, 
You know, it's like malaria. Once it gets in your blood, it never gets out. <laughs> and I enjoyed the meeting of people. Uh-huh. I enjoyed the ups and downs, and there were downs as well as ups. Uh-huh. Um, and it was just every day was a different day. You didn't know what was going to be. You weren't like a doctor where you had so many patients coming in or a dentist or a lawyer working on cases. It was every day was a surprise. Mm-hmm. And um, I got exposed to a lot of people who were important mm-hmm. uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got exposed to a, a lot of different people all over the world. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate and I was able to visit people in Japan, mm-hmm. visit people in China, visit people in Europe mm-hmm. and in the United States. Mm-hmm. So every day was a different day. It was like going to school, That's new day. Awesome. That's great. That's really cool. So um, you said that Grandma Sarah encouraged you to to try the scrap industry. Is there other advice that you remember from your parents that helped guide you and, and sort of make you who you are? Well, my mother had a saying that I've always used, and I told you that saying. And she used to say to me, remember, out of your mouth, it's printed. <laughs> you knew I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> I love that phrase. And... It made me think, don't say something because you can't take the words back. Exactly. So it made you um, much better in communicating with people. Uh-huh. Uh, you never you, you never lose your cool. Yeah. You never lose um, sight of who you are. Mm-hmm. And it, it held me um, in check many times. Sure. You know, one of the things that I love about you is that um, you do stay very even keeled and you don't you don't hold grudges and you don't ruminate over things. It seems like once you've completed something, you move on and you don't look back and regret it or, you know, revisit it in your mind. How do you do that? What did, how would you tell other people to to strive for that? Well, that's a little difficult. Um, I've always felt that um you um well she, l- l- let me say this it's a misnomer that i don't hold a grudge <laughs> it's just that i know that it isn't going to do me any good okay um you 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 get angry uh, so who do you anger yourself sure and sure. it's not worth the energy to get angry because right. Life is a circle. Uh-huh. That which goes around comes around. It's true. You you don't have to worry. You're going to run into that person sometime or another. Sure. Um, and I have, unfortunately, along with fortunate, worked with some people who, you know, were very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can think of an individual now um, that I work with for a number of years who um, as one of my colleagues said, if he isn't on his meds, look out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and that individual, um, was eventually bought out of a company, uh-huh. um, was out of the metal business for a period of years because he had a no compete uh-huh. and now is trying to start up his own company uh-huh. and it's going to be extremely difficult because the old saying, 
don't burn bridges, and he's burned every bridge there is. Sure, yeah. What goes around comes around. So I I try to keep that contact uh, of being on an even keel. And in the days that I played ice hockey, if I had anger, that's where it got taken out on. Absolutely. On a rink. Yep. And then take off my skates and get on with life. I love that. It's great. It just it keeps you calm, you know. So you have three children um, who adore you, and you're close to all of us. You have ten grandchildren. What would you say are the lessons or values that you think you've passed along to all of us? Well, I've I've tried to get you to be on even keel, mm-hmm. and I also have put the energy into each of the grandchildren uh, because I wanted to pass on some things that I had experienced when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Um, And I want them to know that I'm just not a figure. I'm there. Sure. Uh, They can have a discussion with me. Um, Being my age, I have some experience, so I can pass the experience on to them. Yeah. Not saying that they will follow it. Right. Um, as my father once said to me, I asked him about something and he said, you want my answer? <laughs> and I said, yes. And he looked at me and he said to me, I'll give it to you. But if you do the opposite, don't come back to me and complain. <laughs> That's good. Good point. So it made me absolutely sure uh-huh. that I listened to what was said to me. Sure. I think that when my son, Asher, hears something from you, he's more likely to listen to it than when he hears it from me. Just because, you know, there's a generation removed and you guys have a special relationship that's different than a parent and child. So I think he takes you more seriously than he will me. <laughs> you think? Well, I do. And I think he's, you know, he's got a great career ahead of him, whatever he does, because he's intelligent, he's calm. Um, and right now being a teenager, there's going to be times he isn't, <laughs> but that's normal. Yep. And, and as much as you might not think so, and he's got stages to go through. Everybody does. I did. You did. Yep. We all do. That's true. That's really true. So, um, who do you most admire? Is there a person in your life or just in general that you really admire? I had the opportunity to work at a company in Baltimore, Maryland, uh, called um, H. Claff and Company. And it was an old line company in the metals business. It had been in existence since 1901. Oh, wow. And I was offered a position there and, uh, in 1971. Mm-hmm. I was the first non-corporate member. Okay. To go to work there. Okay. It was all family. I was the outsider. Uh, five years later, I was the first corporate officer that was not a member of the family. Wow. Congratulations. There was a gentleman by the name of Marvin Plant, mm-hmm. um, nicknamed Huck. Okay. And um, was probably one of the nicest men I have ever encountered in my life. Um, and he was even keeled, um, had, um, been born in 1903 in, um, Syracuse, New York, 
came to Baltimore um, and married one of Mr. Claff's daughters. Mm -hmm. And he also came to see you when you were about uh, eight months old. Oh. Now, at the time, he was uh, 72 years old. Okay. And he really didn't have to come to Detroit from Baltimore, but he wanted to come and see you. Uh And I thought that that was uh, magnificent uh, of him. Uh Um, He had been... um, in the, on the War Production Board in the Second World War. Wow. Um, also, um, when the Korean War started, um, minerals were rationed. They were you you couldn't get certain things. Uh, he was on <clears throat> he was on that board in Washington, uh-huh. and um, he was just uh, as tall a man as he can be. Uh-huh. And as fine a man as there could be. Great character. And so I, you know, always uh, had a great deal of respect for him. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I know that you're still doing some deals when you can on, you know, sort of a consulting basis. Um, but what do you think your next chapter is? Do you think something See, else? No, not really. I would like it to be that I enjoy my grandchildren. Mm-hmm. I get to see the youngest graduate high school, uh, probably uh, uh, 11 years away. Hopefully I do. It'll be here before you know it. But uh, (laughs) uh, they're all, you know, climbing up the ladder and doing it well. It's great. Yeah. Amazing kids, 10 grandchildren, and they're all really remarkable, you know. Each is a person upon themselves. It's true. And and I just love how close our family is and that um, everybody wants to be together. You know, you don't often find that. And I think that's that's pretty remarkable. You and mom have uh, should take that credit. Absolutely. Well, we try, and I try never to interfere. Um, if they want some advice, I'm there. Uh, if they don't, I don't, and it's not my job to be their parent. Right. It's, uh, I, you know, it's my job to be their papa. Absolutely. So, you know, this podcast is about making meaning and finding purpose. Um, and I wonder what your thoughts are on that. You know, if you have advice for people listening to this about how they can find that purpose or sort of what they're meant to do um, or to make the world better. Do you have any advice for people? Well, I, I would say if if you have the desire, it's always nice to do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked for a number of years for people and then came to the conclusion that I wanted to have my own company. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were 10 years old, your sister was eight, and your brother was six. And I turned around and I said to your mother, you know, I think I'd like to have my own company. And she said to me, well, then go ahead and do it. You're, you're 42 years old. I don't want you to be 50 and say, I should have done this. Right. And, I'm, and if I have to go back and teach, I will do that. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm fortunate I had and have a wife who was there to be behind me and to push me forward. Yeah. 
And I did that, and I was successful. Mm-hmm. And I had the opportunity to have people in my employ who were good people, and we had no more than 20 people in the company, mm-hmm. and everybody was treated equally, and there was no, um, this one gets this and that, that one doesn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, if we had uh, um, programs, as an example, medical, mm-hmm. Everybody got the same medical program. Somebody didn't get a cheaper program because they were um, an employee working in the plant. Sure. Consequently, we never had a union Uh because nobody wanted it because they were taken care of the proper way. Sure. Um, And we structured it after a while that we worked four 10-hour days, Mm -hmm. and that was it. So everybody had... Um, I'm sorry, four nine-hour days mm-hmm. and one four-hour day on Friday from till noon where everything was cleaned up and everybody had Saturday and Sunday completely off and Friday afternoon. You know how revolutionary that was. People talk about it today as, a, as if it's a new idea. That's pretty cool. Well, and then Christmas time, we, we scheduled it so that between Christmas and New Year's, Nobody's going to work. Right. Nobody, you know, they got the Christmas spirit. Right. So we would close down around the 22nd or 3rd of of December Uh and come back on the 2nd of January. Yeah, that's great. That's that's important. And it it was the unwinding Mm -hmm. period. Yep. Well, you know, I talk all the time when people ask me about my career that I was raised in an entrepreneurial household. And I credit both you and mom for that. So while you were the entrepreneur, her support was essential. And when I think about how I was 10 and mom was a stay-at-home mom and the three of us were pretty little, that was daring and risky. And you both just said, leap, let's just try it. And so you've always instilled that in me. And I'm really grateful for it because I've been working on my own for 20 years now. Been my own boss. That's pretty amazing. Well, Continue on because, <laughs> um, it, and, not, and not everybody is is built to do that, right? Um, and I never worried about will I make enough money? Uh-huh. <clears throat> will I succeed? I just put my head down and went forward. Yep, and that's basically how it is. Yeah. Uh, Well, it's been amazing talking with you, Dad. Is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to add to this interview? I can't think of anything, Lynn. I think you covered everything pretty well. Um, All I will say to everybody out there is never give up hope. Keep your head high and always have a smile on your face. And that's why I love you so much, because you say just the right thing, and it inspires me and makes my day. So thank you, Dad, Norman Cohn, for being my very first interview on the Make Meaning podcast, and I love you. Love you, too. Thank you again.